It's good to see you guys. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Eric Ripley. Uh, I currently serve as the Director of Assimilation and Discipleship here at Providence. Um, And just so you guys know, happy Palm Sunday. So this is the commencement of Holy Week. Uh, This is when we celebrate uh, the day that uh, Christ our Lord, one week before his crucifixion and burial, uh, came into Jerusalem on a donkey, and people were throwing their outer garments, they were throwing palm branches down, and they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and they were praising Christ as King. A week later, they would... uh, they would do the exact opposite and kill him. But this was a, a beautiful moment and just kind of, I guess, a picture before uh, the resurrection of Christ as King, as risen Lord. So it's a beautiful thing we celebrate. Um, so in light of that, I just want to pray, just thank Christ, our King, for who he is and what he's done for us. Uh, and we will jump into the sermon. So if you guys could bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our King. We are your humble and joyful servants. We love that we get to follow you, that you are our Lord, and we remember that today. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would speak from your word, that you would make your word clear to us, that we would rejoice in what is taught, that we would have assurance in our faith today. Holy Spirit, you seal us with an unbelievable confidence and assurance that we are cared for and loved, and saved, and destined for eternity with you. And so I pray right now that you would do that in our hearts, that you would awaken our hearts to see what is offered to us in your word from you today. And may it change us forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, as Jenna was saying, we've been in a series going over the uh, doctrine of the Holy Spirit, um, and talking about uh, the um, just really the Holy Spirit and how he works in us. And we talked about how uh, it's easy sometimes when you think of the Holy Spirit to um, maybe be a little con- confused, you know. Uh, you might fall on different ends of the spectrum, and I won't hit on this a lot because I know uh, uh, we have a lot, but you might be confused maybe sometimes at the workings of the Holy Spirit. Or I think at least probably in our culture, majority of us maybe have a little bit of a, uh, I guess, apathetic relationship with the Holy Spirit sometimes, where it's like we know what the Holy Spirit does. We read in Scripture uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing uh, in our salvation and in our lives on a daily basis, but we kind of assume those things happen and maybe not really acknowledge uh, what is happening. And so um, today, uh, we're going to be talking about the spirit of assurance. So last week, Corey uh, preached an awesome sermon. If you weren't here, I suggest you go back and listen to it, but on the Holy Spirit in the regeneration of the believer. So the salvation of the believer, that moment where you are uh, believe, you go from not believing in Christ and the gospel to believing Christ and the gospel and are transformed forever. And then you begin a journey as a disciple following Christ and being sanctified by God until the day of redemption. Um, So tonight, I want to talk about the spirit of assurance. Um, I believe that you can have, as a believer, 100% certainty that you are Christ. 100% certainty, without a doubt, that you could believe that you are God's. So what is assurance? I put this. uh, The Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are saved by God and absolutely destined for an eternity with God in his presence. Um, Assurance is a sureness. Okay, that's how the word breaks down. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Like I said, I believe that the Bible teaches, not only do I just believe this, but the Bible teaches that we can be sure. Uh, A few examples, Philippians 1.6 which says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We read Romans 8, right, which says, uh, it kind of talks about life in the Spirit, and then it ends 
talking about how there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so as a believer, I really think we should grasp this, that there is a way to know that we are God's and that no matter what happens, we are His. He has us in His hand, if you will. It's important we ask the question today, what makes us think that tomorrow we are going to wake up and be a believer? That's important to think about, right? What's your confidence that tomorrow you're going to wake up and still worship Christ the way in which you did today? That's an important question to ask because there's a lot of wrong answers to that. There's only one right answer, but there's a lot of wrong answers of why we would have maybe assurance that we're going to wake up a Christian, right? If you think maybe, well, because I've always been a Christian, right? I've been a Christian for 20-something years now, and I don't plan on changing my mind. That's not a good answer why we should have assurance, right? Because we are, are fickle, right? We could change our mind all the time. If it's because you think that you are good enough to be a Christian or that you've earned favor with God, that's a really bad answer, right? I think we'd agree with that. That's not a good reason to go to sleep tonight in peace that you'll be a Christian tomorrow. And so I'm excited to talk about that. I got a few things I just want to talk about before we, we jump into the text. Uh, I really just got three points tonight, but there's a few things I want to roll through that maybe are some assumptions and then also some encouragement to us just on the topic of assurance in our salvation that we talk about. So here's a few things. Um, First off, there is absolutely no assurance of your salvation apart from God himself. That's probably an obvious statement because I just said it, but I want to clarify this a little bit, okay? We long for assurance in a lot of areas of our life, okay? We, we want to be sure that things are going to work out the way we had planned or the way we want, or at least it's going to be good for us, right? Uh, and the truth is that we honestly, in pretty much every area of our life except this one, don't have assurance in pretty much anything. Uh, a few examples, um, might be your relationships, okay? We are, are fickle people. I mean, just think about it. Like, there's relationships that have uh, gotten into feud and that have been ruined over really stupid things, right? I don't really have any, any funny examples for you, but there are things that people argue over that just gets ridiculous. There are divorces that happen over some very non-serious issues, right? Our relationships are not always strong. Um, the blessings in your life, whether that be finances or maybe just things you feel like you have, those could be gone in a second. Uh, your health, you could be healthy today, and then tomorrow you could be absolutely cancerous and on your way to your deathbed, right? It's just there's no guarantee or assurance that we're going to wake up tomorrow uh, and have health. Um, our plans, uh, the Bible is very clear that you, it's basically, it is a foolish thing to make plans and say, tomorrow I'm going to do this or that, right? That's what James tells us. So our plans, we don't have assurance in those things. Um, we can plan a lot of things, but it won't necessarily work out. Uh, our, our lives, right? You could die tomorrow. Uh, so there's just, my point is, is that there's really nothing in your life that, uh, there's a lot of things that we, I think, assume confidence with, right? Like, yeah, it's just going to work out. It's going to be fine. Uh, and obviously, we know as believers that no matter what, it is going to be fine. And that is a statement that we could say and be true. But we don't have assurance that things are going to work out the way that we do. And pertaining to assurance of faith, there are many portions of Scripture that if you read and were honest, probably cause a lot of doubt in your life. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures I read, and I'm like, uh, that's pretty scary. For example, just one, uh, in Colossians 1, uh, 21 through 23, Paul says, uh, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And so there's a lot of statements like this. It's like, yeah, you're totally fine. You're going to be in Christ if this continues. Or like Jesus says, right, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or Paul, or maybe not Paul, the writer of Hebrews uh, in chapter 12 also talks about a, a faith that without no one will see God. 
Now, um, uh, John Piper has a good quote on this I thought was really good to share. Uh, and referring to these kind of texts in the Bible, this is what he says to us. He says, But it would be a terrible misunderstanding if we thought that these scriptures were written to threaten our security in God. Exactly the opposite is the case. They are written to threaten our security in everything but God. I thought that was a good quote. So these texts are in here to threaten our security in everything else except God. And so absolutely, apart from God, there's no way you can have assurance of your faith. It is only in the gospel that we have assurance uh, that we are in Christ, that we have true saving faith, if you want to use that term, that we really believe the gospel and are destined for heaven. There's absolutely no other way that we could be assured. Another thing is that the assurance that we are speaking of today is for the person who has heard the gospel and believed. Just look at verse 13 one more time. Um, In him you also, uh, it's kind of making a a thing here, first the Jews, and you also as Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Uh, And so I am assuming that this assurance is for those who have heard the gospel, believed in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, the gospel of your salvation. So if you are not a believer, there's absolutely no way you could have assurance of your faith that doesn't exist. Okay, I know it's an obvious statement, but I just want to throw it out there. This is for the believer who has assurance. Another thing is that doubt is going to happen to all of us, and some may doubt more than others, but at the end of the day, as a Christian, um, our theme should be assurance. Now, I I know that there are Christians that just have a doubting problem. I think that's probably a specific grace that God has given some people, a specific trial that God has given some people. There's some people that have absolutely no doubt at all, uh, at least it seems like. You know, there are constantly like just believing and on a high and all these things going to work out, all right? And if you're not a person that feels that way, you get really annoyed with the people that feel that way. But there's other people that just, as true Christians, doubt often, right? That's why I love that Scripture says things like a brood reeds he will not crush, right? Like God is with us in that. And so uh, there is room for doubt. There will be doubt. The Scripture is not teaching today that you were sealed, you have assurance, and there will never be a doubt in your mind. It's just not true. Um, but we should believe, Another assumption I want to make is that many people will genuinely think that they have saving faith and find out when they stand before God that they don't. And we get that from Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, where uh, Jesus talks about these people who said, Lord, Lord, we did all these mighty works in your name. And he gives these famous words, depart from me, I never knew you, right? They were casting out demons and all these mighty works. They thought they were saved. And Jesus says, I never knew you. He gives many parables like this to where it's like people think that they are going to be invited into the kingdom of God forever and are not. They're not found wearing their wedding garments or as many things. And so it is true that many people will think that they are saved and they are not saved. Um, Now, I will say I am not prayerfully by any means trying to put any doubt in a believer's heart today. It's not my goal. My goal is not to threaten you that your faith is weak and that you don't believe, okay? I pray that for the doubting Christian today that in God's word you are strengthened mightily that you are in him. But I do also pray if you are among those who are not in him, uh, that this would be an awakening for you today that you are not. I, I pray that for you. I pray that you would be robbed of all assurance if you're not really, truly in him. And that's important that the word of God does this in a very gracious way to us. Um, and lastly, another uh, thing I want to encourage us, and I'm pretty cheesy. My wife says I'm pretty cheesy, so I'm trying not to be cheesy with this, but I felt like it was a good statement to make, okay? Uh, an assured Christian is a dangerous weapon to the gates of hell. Okay, that's important, okay? When we have full assurance that death is gain, 
that all of our sufferings are gain, that our suffering is giving us a steadfastness, as the book of James says, is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, as Paul says. Um, If we have that, it is a dangerous thing for the enemies of God. If we really believe that, then we will live our lives in such a way for the kingdom of God. We will have a serious focus on the completion of the Great Commission and on honoring Christ with our lives. Um, And this is important because uh, the person that is constantly doubting is going to be constantly fighting this battle and it's hard to really um I'm trying to figure out how to word this uh yeah it's hard to be uh dangerous for christ i don't know risky for christ right if you're not sure that it's going to work out in the end then why would you risk everything for that right but if you're sure that it's going to work out then you'd be willing to risk it all Unless you have this like serious gambling problem where you're not really sure what's going to happen, but you just gamble all your money away, right? It's like, it's like going into a casino and knowing that you're going to win, right? Like if you knew that, you would throw all of your money on the table. I know we're not allowed to talk about gambling in church, but I did it and got away with it. That was on my bucket list. Just kidding. Um, but seriously, just, just look at the martyrs. Like if you've ever read like Fox's Book of Martyrs or something like this, it's really encouraging stories. I, I read one this week uh, from a guy whose name was Donald Cargill probably not pronounced that right, it's Scottish. He was a Scottish covenanter, basically fought for Presbyterianism in the uh, Scottish kingdom of the day, fought against the, the notions of heresy, uh, and gave his life for it along like many others. And as he's walking up the ladder uh, to be beheaded, this is what he says, that was so cool. He said, the Lord knows I go up this ladder with less fear and anxiety than I ever entered the pulpit to preach. I love that. He said, I had much more anxiety uh, speaking from the Word of God, because it would be held accountable, right? Speaking from the Word of God. Much more anxiety in that than, I, than, than walking up this ladder to be beheaded right now. And then it goes into some gruesome details that I won't read. You can go read it for yourself in the Fox Book of Martyrs. Uh, we don't have time for that. Um, but seriously, just be, be encouraged by it. I mean, look at the stories. Like, I, I, I want, and I'm sure you want this as well, I want to live my life this way. But if you live your life in this constant cycle of pretending that you have assurance when you don't have assurance, Basing your assurance on weak things that aren't God is going to be very, very hard, I would say impossible, to freely, really live for God and walk in the discipleship that he has for you. So this is important. This is an important struggle to fight through. I have three points today, uh, and I'll just give them to you. Um, the first one is that we have assurance because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Point two, we have assurance because the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And point three is we have assurance because our redemption applied by the Holy Spirit is to the praise of God's glory. So this is why we have assurance. Let's get into this. And I pray this encourages you. Um, let's just read through uh, verse 13 and 14 one more time, and then, and then we'll, we'll break these three points down. Um, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So point one is we have assurance because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, when we believed in the gospel and were saved, sealed us. He sealed us. Now, uh, this word has a few meanings in Scripture. I just want to talk about two that I feel like would pretty much apply here. Um, the first one, uh, seal, can mean to like protect and preserve, and also it can mean to authenticate or approve as authentic. Now, uh, I don't know uh, exactly what the writer means here, but I think no matter what, however you define the word, as long as it's accurate, that it's all the same basic meaning, and it's this. 
So both of these are biblical and seem appropriate, but they both imply this main idea. That is, that God, the Holy Spirit, has set his seal upon us, and because of that, we are secure in Christ. He will preserve our faith from now until the day of redemption. We obtain our inheritance and possession in Christ. And so that's what I mean. That's a basic idea. This word, we've been sealed by the Spirit. This isn't necessarily something crazy, uh, radical, outwardly looking crazy thing that happens, but when you believe the gospel, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit intricately working in your salvation, in your redemption. You've been sealed. You are now protected and preserved until the day that you die. So you have the big argument, right? Once saved, always saved. Whatever the opposite side is. Can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, anyway, so I would believe, as bad, I guess, is the connotation that has that when you are saved, you are saved. When you are saved, you've been sealed. You've been protected. You will be preserved. You will be uh, to the end. No matter how bad you're limping, you'll probably be being carried, okay? You won't even be limping, but Christ will carry you. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. You are in Him. You have His salvation. Everything, all the promises of the gospel, you have. Um, Many people who are much smarter than I am and that I admire would argue that this sealing is actually synonymous with what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something that is separate um, from your moment of salvation, now, I'm not a Greek scholar, uh, I don't claim to be wise, but I would say that wisdom would lead me to believe that when you are saved, this is when you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, um, that you are sealed. Because I wouldn't have confidence telling you that if it was some other thing that happened maybe later down the road as I'm preaching the scripture, and as Paul is saying this in Ephesians. So I would say you are sealed at the moment you believe the gospel. So if you believe, you are sealed, you are preserved, you have the Holy Spirit protecting you and preserving you. This is awesome. So it's a simultaneous thing that happens. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit himself. Um, and, but I would say, however, just as a caveat to that, that I believe that there is an ongoing uh, assuring that is happening. And we'll get to that here in the second point. Second point is that we have assurance because the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. So God, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, if you look, if you have the ESV or maybe another modern translation, they have a footnote that says this could be guarantee or down payment. If you have an older translation, this word is probably the earnest, Right? Uh, And all of these are meaning kind of the same thing. So what a guarantee was or down payment was a portion of your inheritance or a portion of the money that was to be paid is given in advance up front as a guarantee that this will be paid for that the rest of this is going to be given to you. Okay, that's that's the idea here. So we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, God has poured out his Holy Spirit in us, we now have a guarantee that what is coming, your inheritance, your possession in Christ for all of eternity, your belief in the gospel is true, and all of this will be given to you. It is a for sure thing, okay? It's important uh, to catch that. Now, it's a little different than maybe your down payment that you made on a house or a car and maybe didn't pay off as faithfully as you planned, all right? This is very different. It wasn't like God's like, well, I got 5000 in my pocket. Here you go. I'll get the rest of you later. That wasn't what happened. God obviously uh, owns all things, okay? It's not like that. It's a little different. So I would take it even a step further, and I would say not only does this imply just a down payment, but this implies a foretaste, okay? So I think that there's a more... Uh, more full definition of what that means. It's a foretaste, right? Like we have tasted right now what the age to come will be like. Not in fullness, not nearly in fullness, 
We have no idea what heaven will be like, but we have tasted it right now in the things that we experience uh, in the Holy Spirit, in God. Um, Here's a few examples. God's presence. Right now, we do not, unhindered, though God is everywhere, have a conscious dwelling in the presence of God at all times, everywhere. We don't have that right now. But we do have moments where we experience that on a, a deeper level than I think our norm, right? We experience the presence of God. And one day in fullness, face to face with Christ forever, we will experience that. But right now the foretaste or the down payment or the guarantee or the earnest is that we get to dwell in the presence of God as we commune with him and read his word. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Communion with fellow believers. I mean, heaven is going to be a place where we commune with fellow believers. I think we'll be able to talk. Like, it won't be like you're interrupting the worship side. I think it will be a fellowship and what Christ has done. And we experience that right now at a very broken level. If you're a part of a home group, you know what that means. But at least it's at a level, right? We get to experience that right now. We dwell with the people of God. We get to celebrate the gospel wins together. We get to weep together with the loss and the hurt and the sin And then one day we will celebrate for all of eternity the glorious victory we've had in Jesus Christ. And that's an awesome, awesome foretaste uh, of what's to come in our inheritance. God's glory, I guess it kind of ties together, but God's glory being celebrated in the redemption of sinners like us. We will we'll do that right now and continue and get to celebrate that for all of eternity. The cleansing from all of our sins. We get to experience repentance and faith and worship and increasing joy. There's so many things that we get to experience right now that are foretaste of the life to come. Our Christian life is hard, but it is not boring. And I would just say, you are rich in Christ. I mean, that's what Paul is laying out here. Just read Ephesians 1, uh, all of it. You know, he starts talking about how we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes to talk about God's sovereign redemption in our lives, pouring out the Holy Spirit on us and sealing us. Uh, This is an awesome foretaste that we have. So our inheritance is real and it will be ours very soon. And we have this because God has given the Holy Spirit to us as a guarantee. I just need to think about this for a second. This has always baffled me, but Jesus, I mean, can you just imagine being disciples for a second? You live uh, roughly about three and a half years. You're as Jesus' disciples. You're walking with him on a daily basis. You're seeing amazing miracles from Jesus. All these like cool things are happening. And then Jesus is murdered, right? He dies, he resurrects, and he tells you, trust me, it is better for me to leave and for me to send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. Like, that's always baffled me. Like, I feel like as a disciple, I'd be like, no, that's not better. What are you talking about, right? But he said, it would be better. It'd be better for me to leave and for me to send the helper to you. Those are crazy words from Jesus. So um, we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now, what does that look like? Well, what does that look like? How, how can we be assured that we have this guarantee? Now, I don't want to preach on this text, but I want to turn to Romans 8 because it's going to be covered in a few weeks. Uh, you can turn there if you prefer. I'm going to start in verse 14. And uh, I feel like this just gives us a good, good, just another way to say this as we're talking about this, uh, having the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. Starting in verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by, this, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of the Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So it says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. This is our experience. The Spirit testifies. It bears witness in our spirit that we are children of God. And I would simply ask, is this your experience? The Holy Spirit is bearing witness himself to us that we are children of God as we commune with him, as we linger in his word, as we stay in his presence. God is doing this for us. This is an awesome thing. That's why we're always so big on, on praying and being in your word. It's just so important thing. It gives the window of opportunity for the Spirit to do this for us. And he does that. And I, once again, am in no way near a Greek scholar. I just read this, okay? So don't, don't be impressed by me because it's not impressive. But uh, it's cool because the way this word is in the Greek about bearing witness is this is a continual thing that's happening. Uh, this is the way it's worded. It's pretty awesome. So that's my second point, that he's the guarantee. We have him. We have the presence of God. This is our guarantee. We're sure. We have this, and God is saying, because of this, uh, you, sh- you can be sure. If you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if you're a believer, he does, and you experience this bearing witness of the Spirit himself, bearing witness of your spirit that you are a child of God. You can be sure that nothing can take that from you. You can be sure. It's awesome. Lastly, we have assurance because our redemption that is applied by the Holy Spirit, which Corey talked about last week, is to the praise of his glory. It says that all throughout this portion of Scripture, specifically in verse 14 I'm referring to, should go back to Ephesians, that would help. Um, He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God's sovereign act of redeeming us and making us his own is based on his desire for the praise of his glory. And this is good news. For some people, this doesn't seem like good news. And I pray you believe that it's good news. If it was based, if our redemption, if our assurance was based on anything else, then we should not feel confident in our salvation. If it was not based on God's glory alone, then we should have a fear, right, that we are not saved. Some think that it would be arrogant for God to feel this way, but the only reason it's arrogant if anyone feels that way is because they're not God, right? If God should feel this way, God elevates his glory above all other things. He's for his glory. If you don't believe me, I got a scripture for you, okay? Just to, just to show some flavor about how God feels. God is absolutely committed to his glory above all other things. Um, in Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, it says, For my name's sake, is God speaking, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's foundation for saving us is his glory. But you got to catch this, okay? So God's uh, commitment to his glory is a secure foundation. And don't forget that he has designed the purpose of his glory to be the very thing that gives us the highest joy in our souls. If you're someone that does not care about the glory of God, you are someone that does not have deep joy in God. If you are someone that ultimately cares about the glory of God, you are someone that has much deep joy in God. So what makes us so sure, so presumptuous, if you will, that we are saved, that we are in Christ? It is not our own merits. It is not our own merits. It is simply by 
God's grace alone, because he is doing it for his glory, and his glory will not be profaned. He will not share his glory with another, and for his name's sake, he will save us, and that should bring us comfort, and that should bring us joy. That should create worship in our hearts and security in our souls, okay? When we talk about assurance, we can't think small of it. For instance, when we are going on a road trip, and I look at my son right in the face, and I say, do you have to pee? And he looks at me and says, Daddy, I do not have to pee. I know for a fact, five minutes down the road, we're going to be on the highway with the door open, and he's going to be peeing on the side of the highway, right? It's not that kind of assurance, right? We have a surety and a sureness that God has redeemed us. Look at the gospel. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God, and I would like to actually read that to us, and then we'll kind of start to conclude here. I want to go back to Romans 8 one more time just to kind of give us this flavor of how we should feel about the Holy Spirit assuring us. Uh, what should, what, starting in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who, who did, who died, sorry. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, our tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm not adding the scripture, but I would say because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and Christ has won that victory for us. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ if you're in him. Nothing, not even yourself, can separate you from the love of God. Let's be reminded today that God wants his children to feel secure in him. I pray you understand that. God wants you to feel secure if you're his child. Yes, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God designs doubt in other things, that we may find security in him. But God has not designed doubt for us that doubts him, a doubts our security in him. God wants you to feel that way. He wants you to feel that assurance. That's why God can call us to be bold, because we have assurance and confidence in him. There's so many people that have this like underworking worldview where they probably couldn't maybe form it with words, but they genuinely feel like God is putting them like just like kind of almost like the magnifying ant, the magnifying glass of the ant kind of thing. Like God's purposely just torturing them and, and doesn't want them to feel security in him. God has laid out in his word the gospel of Jesus Christ, the intricacies of this working, how we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. God wants you to feel secure in him. Like I said, the doubt is designed, but it's designed to drive you to trust in God and not in anything else in this world because nothing else you can trust for your salvation. It is not meant to drive you away from him. So I ask you some questions. Are you afraid of death? Are you fearful of not being accepted by God and to be found genuine when you stand before his presence that day before the great white throne? I pray the Lord helps our unbelief. I pray for those of us that are struggling today with this assurance that we would feel victory today, not in our own works, not because we feel like we're good enough, not because we feel like we prayed enough, not because we feel like, hey, it's Palm Sunday and I went to church. That's awesome. Not even because you feel like, hey, they've been out of the building, but I'm faithful. I'm still coming to APC, you know? Uh, Nothing like that. Nothing 
that would be in you. Hudson Taylor said this, he said, When I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust. That's good. You have no merit that should give you assurance, um, even in your salvation. As, as Corey explained, I think so beautifully last week, that it was God doing it so that no one may boast, right? So we don't boast our assurance because we're good. It's not like, as Paul says, even in Galatians, he who, uh, I don't even know, I almost quoted Philippians there. Basically, he says, you were saved by grace, right? And you continue in that and not by works. Um, and so that, that's important for us today. Um, gosh, I, I hope you feel that. I, I hope you feel that assurance in God. I hope you feel um, that boldness that comes with that, right? To live the Christian faith, to be a witness for God. Uh, it is so important that we feel that um, today. So um, what I want to do is I, I just want to pray for us. just want to pray um, that God would give us that today, that security in his word. I had a few practical things, and I guess I'll just kind of go through them real quick. Um, and I kind of mentioned them already, but uh, just kind of in conclusion here. Um, I think for many of us who are struggling with doubt, we probably have a pretty nonchalant relationship with Christ. And, and just some practical advice for us, I think, is that if you are not... Um, now, I, I want to, once again, give a caveat here because I never want to be giving you something. I just said, don't, don't trust in your works, okay? So this is a very important distinction here, okay? Uh, we are not saved by our works. We are not good because of our works. All of our works are filthy rags of God. We understand that. But um, I think there's an importance in the way in which we walk with God, the way in which we commune with Him, the way in which we get into His Word, the way in which we trust Him is so important in our assurance and in communing with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit giving us this assurance, right? Like, if you never pick this book up, you will probably not feel assured, right? I mean, when it says that we, we've been sealed at this inheritance, how are you going to know what the inheritance is, right? When it says that all of our, um, the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ and are fulfilled in Christ, and the Holy Spirit reveals those things to us, how are we going to know if we don't read? Now, if you guys, um, there's this book, it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, I really suggest it, okay? They made a really cheesy movie in the 80s. It's really awesome. You should check it out. The graphics are, like, amazing, okay? Um, but it's about this guy, and his name is Christian. It's an allegory. John Bunyan wrote it, a man who suffered much for his faith. You can read about him in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, too. Uh, and he wrote this book. It's just an allegory of the Christian life and the struggle for faith in the Christian life. And the, he uses this guy walking on a journey and running into a bunch of things that are obviously named, so you can get the picture of this. Um, but it's really cool because Christian meets this guy named Faithful, and when Christian is first saved, uh, he gets this key. He gets a few different things. He gets a scroll that's like his proof uh, that he gets to get into the celestial cities, what they call it, the kingdom of heaven. And he constantly like reads it uh, and kind of pulls it out every once in a while. At one point, he loses it and goes back to find it. It's a really interesting analogy. But he gets this key, and he puts it right in his pocket, right in his chest, right here on his heart. And you don't hear much about the key for a long time. But then he gets lost in this place called Doubting Castle. And there's this big giant. I forget his name. I don't want to get too far into the story. But this giant basically tortures him and his friend uh, really bad, okay? And they're really tortured. And it's at the point where he says, I'm either going to kill you or you're going to kill yourself. And he puts them in this dungeon and basically gives them weapons in which uh, a few different methods on how you want to kill yourself. And he basically says, if you don't kill yourself by the time I get back, you're going to be, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you wish that you would have killed yourself. Is kind of his, his story. Uh, and so Christian, uh, being a good Christian he is, is filled with doubt, is struggling with doubt, has no idea what he's going to do. He's there in the first place because he wandered off the path, right? Uh, Jesus said, stay on this, this straight and narrow path. Uh, and then um, his friend reminds him, as they're both about to kill themselves, he reminds him about the key that is in his pocket. Uh, and in this triumphant moment, Christian 
rejoices and he grabs his key and his spirits are lifted and all of a sudden they put the key into the door of the dungeon and it's unlocked and they escape and it's this awesome story in the pilgrim's progress but that key represents the word of god and i thought that was a really cool analogy to us because uh, as we dwell on this as we remember the scripture that's why we should meditate on scripture remember scripture read scripture um it's like I said before, it doesn't mean you have to have a plan. It doesn't mean if you don't do the, the uh, McShane plan that you're just you're a bad Christian, okay? But um, there's promises of God in here. We've been sealed, but the Holy Spirit definitely works through our abiding in Christ. He definitely works through our spiritual disciplines, if you will. So I just want to make the encouragement, if, if you have um, been unfaithful to get in this, that it's an important thing for us to do. It's an important thing for us to get into the Word uh, and God definitely, by His grace, uses that for assurance. And so, but if you don't mind, I just, just want to remind of that. Some, some just some practical things, but uh, I really just want to say that we are loved by God. Yeah. Believer, believe it today. You are loved by God, and it's not your own doing that no one may boast, but it's a gift of God. It's a gracious gift of God that He saved you. He looked at you and said, you are so not worthy, but for my glory, man, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to invite you into my family. I'm going to seal you. Um, and God has done that to us, and it's been a gracious thing. And for those, like we mentioned before, that right now heard the sermon and said, well, I don't feel secure at all now that you mentioned that. Uh, I just pray you'd wrestle with God through that. I pray that you would seek God. Say, God, give me assurance. Beck the man in the book of Mark who said, Lord, I believe, but I help my own belief, right? I pray for doubting that you wouldn't just continue in doubt, that you wouldn't make the conscious decision right now to leave and not address what is going on in your heart, but that you would say, God, please, do it. God, make me assured. Um, I, I hope that some of you have been struggling with that for years. We would find some freedom in that. So if you guys just bow your heads with me, I just love to pray. They're going to come back up and lead us in worship. But let's just take a moment, uh, just thank the Lord and, and seek the Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, we just take a moment just to thank you for your work in sealing us and for being the guarantee of our salvation. We feel so blessed that we can say with all of our hearts, Lord, that your wounds have paid our ransom, that we are saved, that we are rescued by you for all of eternity, and that we have a glorious inheritance, a glorious inheritance, God. When we enter the kingdom of God, that we get to dwell with you forever, we get to praise you to your glory forever, that we get to rejoice in the redemptive work of the lamb that was slain forever. And that God, even right now, we get to experience in part that power of the kingdom of God. Thank you for the assurance that this is ours. I pray, God, for everyone in this room as we walk out of this room today, God, that we would have a confidence about us, a confidence that is otherworldly, not a confidence in our flesh, but a confidence in you. God, I pray I pray whatever it takes that you would thwart our confidence in anything else outside of you. You would rob our confidence in any worldly thing. God, whatever it takes, I pray you take that from us, Lord, and that you would give us the joy of our salvation. God, that we would believe with all of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes right now afresh to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glorious inheritance that we have in you. Father, thank you for orchestrating this plan of salvation 
and doing this for your glory and our joy. God, we thank you. And I pray that you would help people to wrestle right now with that question. Why would we wake up tomorrow and be a Christian? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.